You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. I got something I want to talk about to you. You're on 3CR, the show is Communication Mixed Down, and I'm Judith Peppard. And I begin the program by acknowledging that 3CR is broadcasting from the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri and Bunurong people of the Kulin Nations, true owners, custodians, and caretakers of this land. And I pay my respects to elders, past, present, and emerging, and acknowledge that sovereignty has not been ceded. My guest today is Antonis Piperaglu, a cultural historian and adjunct research fellow at the Griffith Center for Social and Cultural Research. We're going to be talking about the legacy of Greek composer and activist Mikis Theodorakis, who died in Athens on September 2nd at the age of 96, just a few weeks ago. Antonis has written an article for the conversation entitled Politics, Flash Mobs, Lyongu Dances. The Australian story of Mikis Theodorakis's legendary song, Zorba. I think many of us have connections with the music of Mikis Theodorakis, whether we learned the Zorba dance at school or saw the films Zorba the Greek and Serpico. He composed the music for both of those films, and much more, as we'll find out. I spoke with Antonis last Thursday. And before we looked at the impact of the Zorba song in Australia, I asked him to tell me more about Mikas Theodorakis's life. Mikas Theodorakis is an extraordinary figure whose life came to kind of embody the modern history of Greece. He fused art with politics. Not only did he write the famous score for Zorba the Greek, amongst other films like Z, but he was, as a classically trained musician who studied in Paris, he wrote symphonies, chamber music, operas, music for the stage and for ballet. He is well known for reigniting popular Greek folk music and putting it in tandem with modern contemporary Greek poetry, which often responded to the political climate of Greece at the time. As a young man, he was a resistance fighter against Nazi occupation. And during the Greek junta between 1967 and 74, his music was banned. He was a vocal figure of the left, a member of the Communist Party. So during the junta, he was hounded, tortured, jailed. From 1970 until 1974, the end of the junta, he lived in exile, largely in Paris. Uh, during this time, he published a book called Journals of Resistance, a defiant statement of the junta and the struggle for Greece at the time. I want to go back a bit now to the writing of the music for Zorba the Greek. How did the film come about? The film is an adaptation of the novel by Nikos Kazantzakis, Zorba the Greek, what we might think of as a diasporic novel. 
The story itself is about a man of Greek background from the UK returning to Greece, and he wants to re-engage with his culture. So he meets Zorba, who's on the island of Crete, and Zorba is someone who resists cultural norms, someone who has been, since the film came out, perceived to be a kind of modern embodiment of the kind of contemporary Greek figure, perhaps perceived to be a little uncouth, but also someone full of life. There are many musical pieces throughout the film, but it's at the end of the film where this UK diasporic Greek asks Zorba if he can teach him how to dance. I might add in there a very uptight expat. And that itself is a broader representation of what it kind of means to leave your homeland. You grow up with a certain type of personal tension, who you are and how you relate to the world, knowing that you perhaps are part of some kind of broader, lively culture disassociated, say, from Anglo-centric society. So this character, Basil is his name, when he asks Sorber at the end of the film if he can teach him how to dance. It's a moment in which you can kind of say he has now re-engaged with his Greekness. He has proudly said, you know what, I can move freely. I can move freely through life. The soundtrack to the film, written by Theodorakis, became a global hit. So the movie itself won three Academy Awards, but the actual soundtrack became popularly circulated. So these kind of folkloric sounds, which may be perceived to be quite old, something that has been played in tavernas and on the streets in villages for centuries, isn't actually that old. This is a composition that was written in the 60s, yet its ability to fuse a kind of past sensibility with present aspirations and future hopes is the talent that Theodorakis gives to the musical score of the film. As you know, an Anglo-Canadian, that music also spoke to us. And Basil's search for freedom and Zorba being the guide reminds me also of a lot of other things that were going on in the 60s. Yeah, so we can think about the story, the film and the music uniquely coinciding with the protest movements of the 60s and 70s. And how then this is speaking to various struggles of resistance that are occurring as the world is decolonizing, as certain superstructures of imperialism are really lessening their power and influence. So it's something really special about the way that Zorba, as a composition, manages to capture our emotions almost as soon as we press play. And Mikas Theodorakis's reputation as a composer led to an international outcry when he was jailed by the Greek junta in 1967. People like Dmitry Shostakovich, Leonard Bernstein, and Arthur Miller, among others, protested. He was finally released in 1970 and sent into exile. He continued to compose music and traveled, meeting world leaders advocating against the junta. Here's Andonis Piperoglu again. With his international touring, he spoke about what was happening in Greece. His way of fusing art with politics does something that, as a historian, I am always in sympathy with. He connects with those that we may perceive, for want of a better word, those from below. He's not too interested in talking up and playing into the desires of those that sit at the top of social hierarchies. He's always 
interested in speaking to both the sailor at Piraeus, the port near Athens, the shepherd, but also then to modern contemporary figures, the officialdom of classical music. And his approach to music was in itself revolutionary in that he included the bazooki and that music in his pieces, I understand. So it created quite a stir in the upper class in Athens when he started producing these works. Exactly. This ability to play with traditional norms, reworking them for contemporary ears, that his music can be listened to and understood by the everyday person, but then the kind of rich and serious writing is part of a new classical shift. And as Zandona says, Theodorakis challenged the music establishment, as well as the junta. And in 1970, when he was in exile, he told a reporter from the New York Times, I've always lived with two sounds, one political, one musical. Even when he was imprisoned, he continued to write music and would find ways to smuggle his compositions out with the assistance of his wife, Myrto Altonoglu, who was also a member of the resistance. And there are stories of the use of invisible ink and hollow buttons, just for example. One of Theodorakis's most famous resistance songs was The Smiling Boy, or Do Yelasto Bethi. And like all his music, it was forbidden in Greece during the rule of the junta. But the song was widely performed by artists in exile, people like Maria Faranduri. When the junta finally fell in the summer of 1974, the artists who'd been exiled returned to Greece. So imagine a concert on a warm autumn evening in 1974. Mikas Theodorakis conducts the music and Maria Ferranduri sings Do Yelasto Betty in front of a jubilant crowd. Stop, do you like it? 
able to have been in Athens that night. Maria Farandori singing Do Yelasto Betty, or The Smiling Boy, with Mikas Theodorakis conducting the orchestra. Today on Communication Mixdown, we've been looking at the life and legacy of Greek composer Mikas Theodorakis with cultural historian Andonis Piperoglou. And after this message, we'll be looking at the impact of Mikas Theodorakis' song Zorba in Australia. So, here you are, too foreign for home, too foreign for here, never enough for both. Ijuoma Umebinyo, Diaspora Blues. What makes you smile and adds a spring to your step? What does it mean to belong and how do we build a home away from home? Diaspora Blues is a show that contemplates what is and what could be. Join Busto and Bigwa every Monday at 2.30 on 3CR Community Radio. Produced, Produced by Jan. You're on 3CR. The show is Communication Mixed Down, and it's great to have your company. We've been looking at the legacy of Greek composer, Mikas Theodorakis, and now we're going to talk about the impact of his song, Zorba, in Australia. Here's cultural historian Andonis Piperoglou. A way of entry into that is to think about what life was like for the large amount of Greek migrants that were pouring into Australia at the time. So we tend to essentialise this period in Australian history. We kind of think about post-war migrants who are leaving war-ravaged Europe, coming to contribute to large-scale nation-building projects Many who are then working in factories across Australia are often facing everyday racism on the street, in the workplace, uh, racial slurs of Dago and Wog spring to mind. And they're entering into a country that is quite obsessed with the policy of assimilation, in which non-Anglo people, like Greeks and many others, were to adopt the country's cultural norms and shed away aspects of their cultural distinctiveness that, say, did not neatly fit within the exclusivist expectations of white Australia. By the 1970s, an emergent multicultural ethos began to take kind of centre stage in Australian political discussion. So when Theodorakis visited, Greeks, as well as other Australians, young and old, were really excited about his concerts and they went in large numbers. His concerts became a new way of celebrating non-Anglo culture in Australia that valued the idea and reality of a pluralist, diverse nation. One reviewer wrote of a concert in Melbourne, if Greek culture is lost to us by assimilation rather than retained and developed by its integration, into a multi-nation, multi-racial Australia, a crime will be committed. All his concerts ended with Zorba. (laughs) So people would leave the concert halls with this kind of exuberant exultation of excitement and joy and probably went on to various Greek clubs and cafes afterwards to continue their night. So the fact that this man was famous, valued, respected, seen as a figure of resistance was in a way then that some people started to say, hey, we've got a vast group of people with distinctive cultural particularities that we should value and respect. You've mentioned in the title of your article flash mobs. What does that refer to? 
lash moms, I tell you, it is an interesting Zorba phenomenon that has global roots and various town squares across Europe. But also in 2018, it was Lonsdale Street Festival in Melbourne. There have been attempts to basically pump Zorba out from speakers in town squares and try and encourage those in the streets to take part in a Zorba flash mob in which then everyone hopefully links arms and takes part in the dance of Zorba. There's been attempts to set various world records, but again, like the song can invoke such interest even from a passerby in the street to say, hey, the music's playing, come join, come join. I think the most fascinating interpretation of the Zorba song is by the Chucky Dancers. How did that come about? That happened in 2007. A group of young Yolnu dancers from Echo Island made global headlines when the father of one of the dancers, Frank Jim Bill Bilpui, uploaded an inconspicuous video on YouTube. And the viewer awaits a traditional dance the young man are dressed in loincloth and white body paint. You kind of expect, in inverted commas, an authentic Indigenous performance. And instead, the young men move in sync to a pop techno remix of Zorba. And they perform moves that are very much disassociated from the movement vocabulary that we might associate with music that are reserved for Greek weddings and christenings. They show a type of clowning, a type of mimicry, and the clip ignites laughter. The choreography was designed as a way of saying thank you to a Greek friend of Frank's called Lillian, who was the primary carer for his sister Priscilla, who suffered from muscular dystrophy. The song went viral. It has now been viewed over three million times. And it quickly strengthened the relationship between the Yolno people and Northern Territories and Australia's Greek community. Jukumala performed on Australia's Got Talent. They've toured internationally, Europe, Middle East, China. And they even received an invitation from Theodorakis' family to dance in Athens. Their rendition of Zorba, their reworking of Zorba, is, I think, one of the most uplifting examples of Zorba. It's a true cultural accomplishment. It pokes fun at, but it also remasters Zorba. It confronts assumptions about tradition and authenticity. We can think then of Theodorakis's music as playing a role in not just mediating cross-cultural exchange in Australia and the world, but also then facilitating young self-expressions through the medium of contemporary dance that resists the capacity of stereotypes. And it also shows then that Greekness through the migrancy that's entered into Australia, Greekness itself can be reworked and reinterpreted by groups that we may perceive to not have any relation to Greece.
what's so interesting about their clip on YouTube is that they are dancing to a British pop techno remix of Zorba. So within itself, the song that they are dancing to is a appropriation in of itself. So they picked up on this appropriation and they go, we can dance to this. We can reinvent this. So a song that was probably being played in British clubs through the kind of what we might call the happy hardcore scene in the club scene in, in Britain in the 90s is being taken up and reworked. When we think about the idea of cultural appropriation, we always need to think about the subjectivities, the kind of identities of those that are being appropriated and depending on which angle we're looking at. And I think what is most revealing is that the Theodorakis family, Theodorakis himself, were very touched by this reworking. Shows then that authenticity is not fixed. It's something that is not static. Culture can perpetually be reworked, retained and rejected. What's called Zorba the Greek Yongo style on YouTube, the listeners want to get access to it, and I encourage everyone to do so is the way that they reinvent Zorba forces us to think then that authenticity or traditions are not, again, something that have always been there. Traditions are, like culture, something that is malleable, that's reworked and changed by circumstance, by place, by history, by politics. That's what this rendition is. It's a beautiful reworking of past, present and future understandings of what Yongo culture can be, what Greek culture can be, what Australian culture can be. And Donis Piperoglu, a cultural historian and adjunct research fellow with the Griffith Centre for Social and Cultural Research. And we're coming to the end of Communication Mixdown. But the music and the link to the Jukimala formerly Chucky Dances, rendition of Sorba, will be on the Communication Mixdown website, 3CR forward slash Communication Mixdown. I asked Andonis how people had responded to his paper, Politics, Flash Mobs, Yongu Dances, the Australian story of Mikas Theodorakis' legendary song, Zorba. I have been showered with an outpouring of commemorative remembrance of the man of a celebration of the tune of what it meant for those that grew up in the multicultural era. People have shared with me great stories of Fyodorakis, for example, playing at Collingwood Town Hall to students who went to Collingwood High School, largely migrant children. Apparently he had them in the palm of his hands. People have also then shared their love of Zorba the Greek Yongo style. People have been happily reminded of that clip and have returned to it. And I think in this, for want of a better word, I wasn't going to mention it, but the dispiriting times that we're in. It's been uplifting to remember the man, but also the music and its relevance to Australia. Me as a quite critically minded historian has been shocked to see that this has continued relevance. The passing of Thidiorakis allows for an opportunity to step back and think about the cultural influences that many groups who have been sidelined from Australian history have had an impact on Australian society.
You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, Melbourne's voice of dissent. 3CR Community Radio, 855 on the AM dial, streaming live at 3cr.org.au or on 3CR Digital in Melbourne. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.